This is Fundraising Radio, and today's guest speaker, we have John Cow, founder and CEO of EdgeMakers, that raised about $60 million and was recently acquired by Coded Minds. And as you might have already guessed, this episode is mostly going to be focused on getting acquired. How do you get to this point of acquisition? What should you expect from proposal of acquisition? And how should you find this acquirer? So, John, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on EdgeMakers. Well, I've been involved in uh, the innovation and entrepreneurship field, uh, broadly defined for quite a while, I'd say at least 25 years, and I've approached it in different ways. You know, I've been a professor of business, I've been a a founder of companies, I've been an advisor to many companies, Uh, I have uh, interacted with the uh, uh, investment community at multiple levels, ranging from very early stage venture capital all the way through uh, private equity and uh, sort of the deal business. Um, so my experience is eclectic. You know, some people focus on one uh, theme and repeat it over and over again. I've never been able to do the same thing twice. Um, and uh, I usually get involved in ventures where I have a real personal interest, where I have a personal passion, uh, or where there's something about the um, uh, the opportunity combined with the people that really uh, is uh, is striking. And of course, you know, sometimes I'll do projects that involve the ideas and the um, passions of other people that they bring to the table. And sometimes I will. Um, launch an idea uh, of my own and then uh, put the pieces together. So the, there's no one pattern to my, uh, to my activities, but that gives perhaps a little bit of a, an overview. It doesn't. It. So can you tell us a little about EdgeMakers and what was uh, EdgeMakers doing? Well, EdgeMakers uh, is an education company that built on uh, the curriculum that I created when I was teaching at Harvard Business School. Uh, I was trying to uh, discover how to convey a sense of, you know, what in most business courses is the ghost in the machine, namely the, the human being, the, the leader, the instigator, um, the personality of, uh, you know, the prime mover who puts together a team and who, um, uh, creates an organization, you know, all of which represent potential failure points in terms of how, uh, ventures, uh, uh, evolve. And so, um, when I uh, became a free agent uh, after my academic career, I thought to myself, well, you know, there are all these young people. And when I say young, I mean, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I would say high school age uh, <laughs> as, as the sweet spot, who uh, seem very engaged in trying to do things to make the world a better place, but nobody really um, gives them the tools uh, or really even believes that they can have an impact. Um, yeah. And so you look at the curriculum and uh, it's mostly um, pretty old-fashioned stuff. And uh, right. Edgemakers uh, uh, is a venture uh, that uh, put together learning assets that are now being distributed uh, globally to young people. That's really interesting. So now let's move on to the main subject of the podcast, podcast in general, which is fundraising. So uh, in total, you, according to Crunchbase, in total, you raised about $60 million. And I saw that the last round was significantly smaller than the previous one. So uh, prior to the last round, you raised about $9 million, And then the next one was only $1 million. I'm, I'm curious what happened there. Why did you raise 
just one million? Well, um, without belaboring the details, uh, the small last round was basically to reposition and organize the company for the um, uh, the acquisition. So there were some things we had to take care of on our end in order to uh, to be ready for that. Uh, so it was not really a reflection on the capital requirements. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it was like a bridge round to get you ready for the acquisition. That's, that's pretty interesting. So now let's talk about not the last round, but actually the first round. How was it like raising the first money? Where did you find your first investor? Well, actually, the first round, uh, which was a seed round of uh, about $350,000, was accomplished in a... Uh, in a 10 minute conversation. So it was quite easy. Uh, or it, 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 it was e apparently easy. I mean, these things are never easy, but, um, I, uh, I had a conversation with, um, uh, a guy named Rich Levendoff, who's a early, very early stage, uh, investor, uh, whose specialty is early stage investing. And he was intrigued by the idea and we talked for 10 minutes and, uh, he said, well, what, what do you, uh, looking for what do you need and I said I wanted to do a proof of concept and I you know needed this money and he said fine we'll do it and that was it really I mean the the wire uh, occurred just a few weeks later uh, I had to run around to set up a bank account in order to receive the <laughs> fund. Um, and I think the reason that it was easy well it's a, a couple of things one is uh, he has a very finely honed intuition for people and for uh, opportunities and um, does a lot of investing based on uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. uh, but the intuition is very well calibrated. So, you know, he's, he's got his own mental model of what he's looking for. And for me, you know, I've, I've had a fair amount of experience um, uh, presenting opportunities and, uh, you know, in this case, it was very easy for me to express my own excitement about uh, this venture. So even though it was 10 minutes, um, the, the conversation was preceded probably by years of preparation, you know, uh, mm -hmm. on both of our parts. Um, the other thing is, you know, we, uh, we were not looking for a lot of money. We were looking for proof of concept. And, you know, the kind of early stage investing that... Um, this uh, particular uh, uh, gentleman was involved with um, uh, is the kind of business where you put out um, uh, small amounts, uh, a number of small investments as kind of like the, the wide mouth of the funnel. And you expect that a lot of that uh, investment, if not most of that investment, is not going to progress. And even at the stage of a series A uh, or a seed round, more significant seed round, I, I would call this not even the seed round. It was the the proof of concept round, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, as the funnel gets smaller and smaller, you know, obviously the due diligence gets more, um, more stringent, but, uh, um, uh, you know, the trick is really matching the, uh, the stage of the venture and the kind of money you're looking for with the right, with the right investor. I mean, the conversation I had with this guy would have gone nowhere with, uh, I would say the majority of venture capital funds and the majority of investors um, uh, simply because there wasn't enough meat on the bones, but he was in a sense betting on me uh, because I had, you know, uh, um, uh, a resume that uh, uh, was persuasive. 
So you know, it's, it's about confidence and it's about um, belief rather than crunching numbers, which, you know, obviously in this kind of a situation don't really exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Angel investing is a lot of gut feeling and stuff like that. So you got to be persuaded persuasive <laughs> you gotta know how to speak english so probably not, not gonna work for me <laughs> but we'll see anyways uh here i wanted to ask you this question that really bugged me a lot so you're the only founder of edge makers and from what i heard from many investors who participate on fundraising radio and from many startup founders who have successfully raised money and talked to me uh nearly all of them say that uh two co-founders is the preferred way better so investors see this as a way better opportunity as uh, opposed to when you have only one co-founder do you think that was a problem to you when you were raising well it, it wasn't a problem for for me but i think there was this general belief that i was the right person to get things started and that the assumption was uh, that i would be able to put together uh, the right kind of team uh, to drive mm -hmm. things forward um i think um the reason uh I would say most investors like the idea of uh, a group of co-founders rather than one is because uh, it's it's fairly unusual to find one person who covers all the bases in terms of um, not just uh, resume type skills, but in terms of uh, the way they think, you know, that one person may be very um, uh, intuitive and think about possibilities and, be always looking to uh, see what's around the corner. And then the other person may be very focused on practical details and mm -hmm. execution right. and schedules and, um, you know, creative uh, activities of which startups are definitely an example require uh, both, you know, they require, um, you know, the belief in the existence of something that you can't touch and feel, which is lying in the future. And you need to have really good execution. But I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with uh, uh, from an investor's. I, I don't know that I would think there is a rule about two is always better than one. I think the 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 issue is more: does this uh, startup or pre-startup have the right ingredients to give it a chance to be successful? And um, you know, if the leadership revolves around a singular person who you know people believe is going to. Um, uh, uh, fulfill the potential of the venture, then I, I think that should be fine. Right, right. So another thing that really caught my attention is that that you earlier said is that you raised over $300,000 on just proof of concept, which is really strange for me because whenever someone approaches me and asks like, hey, should I raise now? Should I, uh, can you introduce me to some investors? And then they say that they didn't really, uh, they don't have a proof of concept. Sometimes they don't even have MVP. I say, don't even bother first, get traction, get some proof of concept. So w would you recommend those people to actually try try to raise money or should they actually follow my advice? What do you think of, of that? Wait, so your advice is do the proof of concept before fundraising? Right, because fundraising might take a lot, a lot of time and, and proof of concept sometimes might be even faster. Uh, well, it, you know, I guess it really depends. You know, uh, I think that uh, going to see an investor and just waving your hands around uh, isn't a recipe for success unless you happen to know those people very well. You know, and, you know, in, you know, in the event that they're your, you know, your relative or something like that, they're mm -hmm. going to 
you know, believe you. Um, on the other hand, you know, my thought process was I didn't want to raise uh, a, a a seed round until I, uh, in a way, I was asking for money to do the R and D to assure myself that um, there was a there there. Um, mm-hmm. And if I could convince myself of it, then I could convince other people. And um, the investors felt that um, that was a that was a good strategy. I probably could have raised a you know a a seed round uh, uh, as well, you know, which would have involved uh, an ability to hire people and do the more traditional things. But I didn't really. Not only did I not want to do that, but I didn't want to do that too early because you know the game is always timing, and the earlier you raise a lot of money the more equity you tend to have to give up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, the seed round was a, a low risk way of seeing the full scope of the opportunity and then being able to go back to the well and say, Hey, you know, um, uh, I think this is a great opportunity and this is the valuation that I think we deserve for pursuing it. Right. Rather than just mm-hmm. speculating as to what that value would be. Absolutely. So uh, actually, another thing that I really want to cover is that how do you manage to find that one first angel investor who invests in you after 10 minutes of talk? So do you just find him on LinkedIn or do you already have uh, do you already have a contact with him before? How, how did this happen? How do you get in touch with him? Right. Well, every story is different. Um, and this guy was actually a partner in a venture fund. Uh, uh, so not really an angel investor in the literal sense. Um, he and I were uh, were vaguely acquainted um, because we were both attendees at a conference, which is called Techonomy, which is one of these annual get-togethers of people in the technology and kind of future trends and investment area. It's a very good one, and it's a, a pretty invitational event. So it's usually around 100-plus people, uh, very intimate and uh, we were just uh, um, online at the at the barbecue to get lunch and uh, said, what are you up to? And I, you know, I, I told him it was just a casual conversation. And uh, then he said, uh, you know, he started to get more specific and he said, what what are you uh, what are you looking for? What do you need to move this forward? And that's when I said, you know, I was looking for seed money. Um. And that was it, you know. So I think the 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 take home is as follows, you know. There in that situation, there was already a, a, a some personal connection. You know, um, we were colleagues at an event that we both enjoyed attending. You know, it was a selected group, uh, so you know we came kind of pre-approved to each other, at least in terms of our credibility and our standing in the community. Um, and, uh, and it was a conversation. So, you know, I think, um, unfortunately, you know, in this kind of shelter in place era, it's hard to do that kind of social networking. And I, I can't really imagine the same dynamic occurring in a virtual domain. I mean, the virtual domain is much more uh, premeditated and purposeful. So, you know, you, you, you already know somebody and you set up a LinkedIn call with them or 
You don't know them, but then you have to handle the, the conversation in a very kind of specific and professional way, as opposed to this story where we were both just kind of hanging out in an, at an event and uh, um, had a casual professional conversation that, you know, at the same time allowed us to kind of get a feeling of what it would be like to work together. And, you know, this guy um, and I, uh, you know, we're still in touch. We talk every uh, few weeks. We're friends. We, um, you know, we have breakfast together. We talk about new opportunities. Um, so there was this gut feeling that um, there was a personal chemistry that would be uh, um, enjoyable for both of us to do something about. Um, and you can't figure, you know, there, you can't make those judgments uh, by cold, cold calling somebody on LinkedIn. Absolutely, in, yeah. in my opinion. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we live in this time where you can't really go out and network and just talk to people in person. Um, but let's talk about the acquisition just a little bit. So you were acquired by a company called Coded Minds, and I saw that it's based in Dubai. How did this happen that a Dubai-based startup acquired you, a U.S.-based startup? Well, it, it was a Dubai-based startup, but it, it had operations in a number of countries, and it had a, uh, an activity uh, also in Canada. And the activity in Canada was... Uh, Uh, STEM learning, uh, so uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, and they had a very mm -hmm. interesting model for distributing their uh, their value proposition. And so uh, we were actually initially contacted by the Canadian group, and from there it became obvious that there were some real synergies with um, the parent their parent company, and that's how it all uh, came to be. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you were actually approached by that company and. They proposed then later on, right? So you didn't really look for an acquirer. That's right. Yeah, this is a very again. You know, I uh, my my history tends to be driven by kind of organic relationships. Organic in the sense that they they emerge in a in a natural way. Um, and uh, in this case, because they had novel uh, distribution. Uh, mechanisms and they were present in, in a number of countries and we were not particularly global at the mm -hmm. time. Uh, we felt that it would be a very good fit. Right, right. That sounds really cool. So here I want to talk about uh, ex-founders who sold their company successfully as a potential source of capital and just advice. So uh, do you personally invest in startups as an angel? I do. I do. Um, uh, and I, I've been doing that for, for quite a while. Um, so I imagine you're staying in your field, so it's ad tech? I, my field is pretty broad. I mean, I've, I have, uh, I've been involved in startups in um, digital media, and uh, 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 I've been involved in uh, startups that involve uh, robotics and artificial intelligence, and I've been involved in startups that are in the in the in the movie business um so it really depends on what i'm interested in uh and or what i'm prepared to be interested in because you know sometimes people will walk in and i will think you know i i don't really understand why i'm having this meeting but then mm -hmm. something about what they say uh seems really interesting or the the team is really interesting and um 
you know, uh, things things move move forward. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't characterize angel investing as my main activity uh, by any means. But you know, every time you start a company, uh, you you gather a lot of intelligence about what's going on in a particular sector, and that knowledge can, in turn, lead to uh, finding opportunities that are that are uh, interesting and finding them way before other people. So it's an advantage. Um, you know, so, I think, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so how, how do you find those opportunities? Or how do you source your deals basically? Well, again, you know, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend my approach to everybody, but um, I do it by uh, uh, referral. So somebody calls me up because they, um, they were introduced to me by somebody or, you know, or they, they heard about me because of my social media presence. And, uh, 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 that's it. I, I rarely go looking for things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, the trick there is to have a pretty explicit, uh, filter so that, um, you know, you, 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 you progress things that are only in areas that, you have strong feelings about. Um, the other thing that I'll say about angel investors from the entrepreneur's point of view is um, uh, that you have to be careful uh, because uh, to me, uh, founders who have exited are a double-edged sword. Uh, they're, they can be really good because they are empathetic with the entre- you know, the, the entrepreneur they're investing in and they understand the need for speed, um, um, you know, and there may be a real kind of alignment of personalities. But, you know, the flip side is, um, you know, often believing in your success can be very dangerous. You know, I mean, you know, just because you're successful once doesn't mean you're going to be successful again. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would rather have somebody who has nurtured, you know, um, 20 or 50 or 100 ventures, you know, as a professional venture capitalist than uh, an ex-founder, just because they will have more breadth of experience and they'll have more pattern recognition as to what, you know, the the issues are that might uh, come up. And then the other thing is, you know, if if you're a a harvested um, founder, uh, there's a real question as to alignment of interest. You know, venture capitalists, um, are under pressure to deliver returns to their uh, partners, their their limited partners, financial returns. And the structure of venture funds is very carefully uh, organized to make sure that uh, the interests are aligned, you know, in terms of when you get to cash out and all this kind of stuff. You know, the, the, the issue with a, um, a founder who's cashed out is, their interests and your interests are not necessarily fully aligned, you know, because they have money. So, you know, they're not tied to the goal of making more money necessarily. They're, they're, the alignment has to occur around more intangibles like, you know, are they really excited about your, their idea, your idea and are they really excited about you? And those are intangibles that can, um, uh, can fade away. You know, I mean, if you're locked in because your financial upside uh, it depends on uh, the success of the venture. That that is a level of commitment that uh, can be quite reassuring. You know, then you're there for the long haul. Right. But um, 
Uh, and I don't want to say that, fa- you know, founder investors are fickle or, you know, lazy or mm-hmm. whatever, but, uh, you know, really is uh, let the let the buyer beware. Right, right. That's that's actually a good point that sometimes uh, VCs might be actually more appropriate rather than an angel investor. But here we got a question from an audience, which I think is a really good one. So uh, he's asking, given that you raised capital uh, for your company at a very early stage, how did you handle that valuation question for your seed round? Which I think is great, great question, the valuation. Oh, I see. Yeah, it is a good question. Uh, what we did was we established a notional um, a seed round valuation. Uh, in other words, if we were, let's say, going to raise uh, two or three million dollars, what would the valuation be? Um, and then we just simply took the the um, uh, you know the de- the demonstration money, the uh, the 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 very early three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars as getting that percentage of the company. Uh, you know that's so that's one way to do it. You just establish a, um, a you know a, a seed round valuation, and then you know the initial chunk of money uh, conforms to that. The other way of doing it, which um, is also uh, very feasible, and I guess we just never got around to discussing it, is to do it as a uh, uh, as a convertible note that is uh, a convertible at the price of the the real round of financing when the company mm-hmm. is going. And there are certain uh, 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 advantages for uh, the investors because the tax treatment of a of a loan that uh, doesn't get repaid uh, may be more advantageous than uh, the tax treatment of a um, uh, of an investment that goes belly up. Uh, but that obviously depends on getting the right kind of tax advice. Absolutely, you actually hit a pretty interesting point here, but we'll not go into the tax field because I'm not too good in it. But uh, here I want to ask you probably one of the last questions and it's uh, the importance of getting good advisors on your board. So I believe you're an experienced founder who successfully sold his company. I I imagine that you get approached by other startup founders a lot asking you to join their team as an advisor. So does that does it happen to you often? Yeah, I would say it happens once in a while. You know, I... Um... Uh, the the question of fit is really important. I mean, sometimes, uh, well, an entrepreneur needs to uh, be clear about why they're uh, establishing an advisory board and what they expect from them. And, you know, one uh, at one extreme, it's just window dressing. You know, you want to have some prominent people who uh, in a way, uh, mm-hmm. prove that you're okay, you know, and that your idea is okay, uh, you know. And there's there's um, a place for that. I mean, I've I have some small pieces of equity in companies that I've done relatively little for because they don't really want me to do very much, but they want me to be involved. <laughs> then at the other extreme, there are advisors that who are very involved and um, you know are worth their weight in gold. But I think for the entrepreneur, it really is important to be very to be clear about what the purpose of an advisor and an advisory board is. Um, uh, and then, you know, if it's a working relationship to establish some really good, explicit expectations around what the value is of that of that uh, involvement. 
Right. So uh, you mentioned something that I want to elaborate on real quickly. And you mentioned that what's, what's it worth? So what's the normal, what normal compensation for being an advisor is? So what percent of the company should the founder be ready to give out to a good advisor? Yeah, again, it, it, uh, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. You know, I, I think that um, uh, also it depends on how active the advisor is going to be. You know, if they're a window dressing advisor, that's one thing. If they're going to be very active, that's another. But, you know, I've seen, um, you know, ad- advisory boards as a whole get, you know, something less than 1% of a funded company. So then you divide that into fractional pieces. And that's, you know, that's, um, that's been one, one approach. Um, but as I said, it really depends on how desirable those advisors are and how much they're going to do. That's really great. I think I'm going to make a separate, completely separate episode on how to uh, bring advisors and how to properly uh, pay them and how this all works. How does this look on the cap table, etc.? But for now, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, John, for coming up and for sharing your experience and knowledge in this field and for sharing this great story of uh, success. I would call it that way. Uh, sure. It was let great. Say, let me just say that, um, sure. you know, I think anybody who starts a company is uh, is brave and, uh, you know, their, their, their zeal to get something off the ground should be encouraged. Um, I, t- I write a lot about uh, innovation and entrepreneurial topics. Um, I just actually became a, a regular contributor to Forbes. So for anybody oh, listening out there, if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, um, you'll get uh, uh, notifications of the articles that I'm writing because I'm going to be uh, doing that fairly regularly from now on. That's awesome. And congrats on that. I think that online presence is really important. Uh, I mean, I have a good reason for doing this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'll definitely leave a link to your um, Facebook or Twitter, whichever, whichever you choose. And uh, everyone who's listening to this, feel free to follow John. Thanks again and Perfect. have a great day. Take Bye. it easy. Thanks. Thanks.